0: In the course of six months, I sold, it was about everything I had, sold my house, my car, motorcycle, my kayaks, my boat, you know, and bought this little 1976 four-seat airplane.
1: You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to the story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman.
2: All right, you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Rob Saravalo. How you doing? Good, Eric. Good to see you, man. You too. Long time no see. Yeah, I know, right? Right, yeah. because we were just talking about like right before the world came to a halt, we got to hang out in Palm Springs in one of the last big events. I'd say I was. Yeah. At.
0: Which, by the way, was a great event. It was yeah. a great event. I remember partying. What were you dressed up as, by the way? In the- oh, I bu- I
2: literally bought a leopard print robe. That's right the Hotel <laughs> lobby. <laughs> They had like a gift shop, but I was like, "That, that's yeah. perfect. It was like that 80s
0: was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Now we were talking before, like, you know, I mean, 2020 looked so inspiring and exciting and, and everybody yep. was excited for what, what was going to come in 2020 then boom, yep. right? But
2: Yeah, we pretty much ended yeah. last year with, you know, parting to 80s band and then Lenny Kravitz and like, yeah. it, it was everyone's optimistic. I mean, yeah. I, even at the beginning of this year, I remember I didn't work out, but I tried to jump on one of your planes when we were in Miami. So we'll, we'll get into 10. that, but. Yeah. So as I always like to talk about, you know, you've become the CEO and founder of an airline as well as a Top Gun pilot, not too shabby, but I'm curious, you know, rolling back to four years old, were you like pushing around in the backyard, making airplane sounds saying I'm going to be a pilot one day or like, where does this start? Let's take the yeah. story.
0: Yeah. It's funny, man. No, I did. I grew up that way. So I, you know, so like when I was a kid, like my dad came over from Italy in the sixties, he was, he grew up in Southern Italy. He was actually a teenager during World War II. And he had these, you know, he brought me, up telling me these stories these vivid memories of growing up in world war ii and his town was overrun by fascists and nazis and and you know he used to feed salami to the prisoners of war through the fence and everything else like you know but my uncle was sentenced to die by the local magistrate i mean it was you can imagine world war ii and the american military invaded and basically liberated his town so, uh, you know, he came to the U.S. and became a citizen and just fell in love with this country. So he brought me up with this idea. I used to watch all these old war movies like Patton and everything else, you know. But he also had this love of flying. And that came from, he remembers the American bombers flying low. He lived on a little mountaintop in southern Italy and flew over his town. You know, so so he became a, a private pilot. So I would say like at four years old, I knew I was going to join the military. At six years old, I knew I was going to be a fighter pilot. Wow. And then, you know, Top Gun came out in 1986. and Little movie called Top Gun. And uh, (laughs) I said, Man, you could ride motorcycles, you could land on boats, and you know, the whole thing. I was like, I gotta gotta be a Navy pilot. Screw this this Air Force stuff and fell in love with it, you know. And I went to college, University of Florida, and I was going to join the Navy right after college. And I had some family things going on at the time. So I delayed a couple of years. And then August 10th, 2001, I was sworn in, and everyone knows what happened later, you know. And and at that point, I said, Man, I knew I was on the right path. You know, it's funny, it's, it's so easy to look back sometimes and see how the dots connect and at least where your path takes you.
2: What's interesting about this, so you, I mean, you're literally four years old through 18 through 22 when you're graduating college. Like you knew you were going to be a Navy. Pack. I mean, you switched from Air Force to Navy after Top yeah. Gun. So you were pretty firm on, I'm going to be a Navy.
0: There's a full disclosure. There was a period of time for about a year where I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Hey, look, Charlie Sheen made it look pretty cool, Michael Bain. But yep. no, seriously though, you know, my passion was always obviously in flying. So I did okay, I did that kind of- there. What
2: happened with the Navy SEAL? Did you, like, when was that? How old were you?
0: I was, I was like 19. Yeah, I was actually okay. training in college with a guy who's going through what's called an enlisted commissioning program. He's a SEAL Team 2 guy becoming an officer we trained in the woods we had a blast you know i'd spend you know three or four days out in the woods at a time with him and we worked out together with a group and i just i fell in love with that idea but you know my my heart was always with flying funny enough i actually had lunch with brandon webb yeah that's a little bit i love love the podcast i had no idea that guy was like sailing across the pacific when he was a kid yeah. Uh, what a cool story. By the yeah, way. no, I mean,
2: frankly, it was similar yeah. in that sense of like he hadn't had didn't have the vision of being a seal the whole time, but he just from birth was basically on the ocean. So, yeah. you know, yeah. when it came time, yeah. what am I going to do? Is I'm going to be in the ocean.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a great story. Great story. Yeah. Nice. So. All
2: right. So, you get out. You take. You said you took a couple year break after college.
0: Yeah, right after college, right after graduating, a year yeah. and a half or so. Yeah, I asked um, what
2: happened. What was the delay? It was
0: just some family health issues, and I felt you know it's so funny. Like I felt it was not the right time to go. And then you know it's funny if you look back in my life, I, I go through these periods of time where like I need a mission in life. Like even even it's why I started the company. It's why I'm you know running a company through a pandemic and everything else. And I was so miserable that I didn't join the navy. I mean it was. My dad pulled me aside, you know, and he said, look, he's like, why aren't you doing this? Like, oh, well, you know, this happened in our family. What happens if you get sick? You know, he goes, look, he goes, when I came over, we didn't have internet. We didn't have cell phones. You know, I could. he goes, you could call me anytime. Like I was worried about him as he got older. He passed away. Actually, that's a 2003, you know, and he said to me, he goes, I said, look, he goes, he quote Mussolini, even though he's a villain, you know, and he said, Mussolini once said, I'd rather spend one day as a lion than a hundred years as a sheep. And in your case, I'd rather spend one day as an eagle than a hundred years as a chicken. You know, <laughs> that's, that's funny. Is was, was, we used to have these talks, these talks yeah. and give me that, that kind of mentorship and advice. And it was great. And right. yeah, and of course, you know, it was the right path for me at the time. Yeah. It was just an amazing career too. I mean, look, I had no idea. You join the military, especially something like the fighter community or SEALs. I'm sure Brandon would say the same thing. You know, what you see online and what you see on movies and stuff, it's so much more involved, right? It's, it's yeah. there's just so much that, that goes into it. And I'll tell you, like, you know, we all grow up with the idea that we're influenced by the media, right? I mean, I was influenced by Top Gun. Yep. And luckily what I found was that, you know, over the course of my life, even when I started the business, I was influenced by Richard Branson and a few other people. Yeah, You know, you can't try to be those people and you can't like end up like hoping that you're going to be that person, but life ends up being so much better. You know, like the, the military community was, for me, was just so strong. And, and the idea of like Top Gun, that was cartoonish compared to the idea of, what you learn, even though you work you know, 18, 19 hour days and you're briefing and debriefing and you spend your your time at Top Gun, which I went through in 2009, building PowerPoints. You know, like yep. Literally, a lot of my time was building PowerPoint presentations. You learn so much.
2: Okay. So 2001, month before 9-11, you actually, unless you go, and did you go, you went in as an officer, right? Because of
0: Right. I went through what's called officer candidate school. So and yeah, did, yeah. When you
2: join, are you immediately, like you said, I'm coming in as a pilot or did you have to go through testing, training, like how's that? work?
0: Yeah, you have to, you have to apply to be a pilot, right? So, and the recruiters are funny, man. Like, yeah, there's a lot of people that go into the military, not happy about what they get assigned because the recruiter, you know, promises them certain things. And the recruiter's yeah. like, look, he's like, you don't want to be a pilot. You know, you want to be a backseater because, because the pilot's the monkey on the stick. The backseater is really there. Runs the mission. He's trying to convince me. And I was like, look, top two choices, pilot, pilot, pilot. That's yeah. it. You know, I, that's all I wanted to do. And, you know, I passed all the test and everything else. And so I, I got in as a pilot and went through Officer Candidate School, which...
2: And what happens is, if you don't? Let's say you didn't pass the pilot test. Do you, or you're still in. Like, you still have to serve the military. Yeah.
0: So OCS is interesting because you don't have a commitment until you go in. So you commit yeah. as a pilot, right? Yeah. Now, a couple of my buddies, they had health issues or they found something wrong with their eyes yeah. during OCS, you know? Right. So they may end up being a backseater or go off to the ship world or whatever, which is yeah. fine. You know, it just, it's just for me, that was that was my goal
2: right. got it and you don't yeah. but you wouldn't have to if like something came up medically like your vision or something during that process you wouldn't have had to
0: not during to those not during those CS, but later oh. on you yeah. know yeah you have to search in shorter of time yeah, yeah.
2: got it yeah. very cool and so what's the process then like how soon from when you signed up to like when you're actually landing on an aircraft carrier
0: <laughs> yeah it's about almost three years like two and a half years okay. well I, I take that back you, you land on the aircraft carrier in about a year and a half but by the time you're flying the gray jets out in deployment yeah. you know, you're looking at, at you know two or three years but Officer candidate school is about thirteen weeks. Uh-huh. It's boot camp at the time, at least. You know, we had uh, it's like boot camp for officers. We had you know the Marine Corps drill instructor with the smoky bear hat. That, like yeah. you can't, all you see is his mouth. You know, for the first three weeks, essentially. Yeah. And these guys, these guys are hilarious, by the way. They should all be stand-up comedians because the stuff that they, the, the shit that they throw at you is just, just too funny. You know, yeah. they kept pronouncing you know my name wrong, and I said, and he's like, well, how do you pronounce it? I said it's actually Stravvy. He goes. No, it's not. Your family's been pronouncing it wrong the entire time. You know, like he's just, he just throws stuff at you. It's just hilarious. And it kind of, you know, it's 13 weeks of academics and, you know, physical fitness and things like that, but great experience. And then you go through what's called API, where you learn navigation and and other basic, you know, flying stuff. And you go to flight school and in flight school, I went to Corpus Christi, Texas, and you go to primary flight school, which is a propeller, a turboprop airplane you know, it's a lot of fun. You're learning, you know, formation and aerobatics and the whole nine yards. And then how well you do there basically decides like what your next steps are. So there's any, any given time, there's a number of jet slots available. And when I graduated, there were only three jet slots across the three schools. And thank God I was, you know, I was number one in my class. So I got the first one. So how many
2: people were in the class or the three classes? Across the three schools, I think it was like 35. Okay. Wow. So it's at the same time going to get through. Yeah.
0: Yeah. At the time. And then, you know, the Navy's really bad at accounting by the way. So sometimes they have too many pilots. Other times they don't have enough. So yeah. it really, it fluctuates a little bit uh-huh. and it is what it is. But yeah. Yeah.
2: So, nice. so you went through that. How long was flight school?
0: So flight school is about two, two and a half years. Go I ahead. went to jet training in Kingsville and, and Kingsville so you start to fly the jet, which is a blast. You know, you land on the carrier the first time, the whole thing at the time I, you know, my father passed away when I was in jet training. So my, my training was delayed about a month. I was scheduled to go, I think I was supposed to go to the aircraft carrier. And then when he passed away, they kind of pushed me back about a month, you know? And it was a tough time, obviously, because, you know, my dad was the reason I kind of got in. He kept yeah. telling me that, you know, I can't wait until you show up in my hometown with a Navy uniform on. You know, he'd watch <laughs> Officer and Gentleman once too many times. And when it was, it's such an odd thing for me because, you know, we spoke almost every day. And when he passed away, it was like his life was ending at the time that mine was beginning, because that was like my whole few, I mean, if you think about the last 20 years of my life, you know, deploying Top Gun, starting a business, you know, and it was just like, it's, it still bumps me out to this day. We'd never had that overlap, you know, yeah. but the squadron was great and went home for 10 days. It was drunk for about nine of them, came back and they said, look, you know, Rocco was my call sign. Rocco, what do you want to do? I said, put me back in a fucking jet, you know, that's it. And for me, the flying was always a meditation, a form of meditation. You know, and I got back in the jet. Did went you fly
2: to, like pre-Navy? Did you ever like get up in a prop Yeah, 170 some, or something? Yeah,
0: I had, I had my license, had some play time, which which obviously helps in primary, you know. Um you, you, uh, you
2: had your license, yeah. license. Got it. Yeah, helps
0: in primary, doesn't help in jet training because you know you're not you're not listed at least on a carrier dropping bombs, but definitely helps in primary. And yeah, so jet training was a blast though. I mean, you're dropping bombs, you know, you land on the carrier for the first time, and and that to me was the big like Oh shit moment. As you're, you're flying out to the aircraft carrier, you have been trained up for this and everything else. Yeah. And you see this boat. And by the way, there's no instructor in the back seat, you know? So it's like, no one wants to get in the back with you. And you see this boat and you're like, I got to land on that. That, you gotta be kidding me. Like it's tiny, you know? So then, you know, I remember like my heart rate was going and I was, I was literally thinking to myself, what if I turn around? Like, can I still join the air force? Will they let me do this? You know, like I was having this whole like internal monologue as I'm, as I'm flying towards the boat. And then you kind of like fall back in your training a little bit, you know, and you come into the break and I'm still like second guessing. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. And you come into what's called a break. You fly over the top at 250 knots. You turn and you pull G, you know, yeah. and you kind of G Looking at the boat, it's just—it's not getting any bigger. It just looks smaller. I'm like—I'm like talking to my dad in my head. I'm like, "Dad, yeah, like, seriously, you got to help me out." And then by the time I got to the groove, which is where you start to turn—you know, turning on final, if you will, for the ship—you yeah. kind of just get settled into just training. You know, the the yeah. mentality of you just been drilled in your head. You know, all line up, AoA, and you fly it, and you trap, and it's like. <sighs> Holy shit. I cannot believe that. Right. So so you do that for a couple of days. You do day and night. Funny story really quick. So we were flying off the coast of North Carolina. When you get done, Eric, landing on the ship for the first time, you really feel like you could conquer the world. I was, I was walking through an airport in South Carolina or North Carolina, rather Charlotte. And all these guys were looking at this girl, which is, you know, really pretty girl and everything else. And nobody would go and talk to her. I just walked right up to her, started talking to her. turns out she was a playmate, you know, (laughs) at the time I was on her way to LA for a shoot. And it's like, you know, I probably wouldn't have done that in a million years, obviously, but you really feel like. the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it never gets easy. I mean, I mean, from that first landing to my very last landing on a carrier at night, my legs would still shake. My knees would still shake at the end. You know? and is that
2: something common across all pilots, like Navy pilots? Is it just like, yeah. it is just that hard?
0: Yeah. It's like, if you're not scared of this thing, you're stupid. Like something's yeah. wrong with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you gotta be scared of it. It's just overcoming that fear. Like and, daytime and how is often
2: is there a problem? Like how often are there accidents or.
0: You know? you know, it's rare. And it's because the Navy does such a good job weeding out the weak ones. Yeah. And then really training people up. You know, yeah. and I always talk to this, is how we set my company up, you know, I mean, look, Navy flying or naval aviation is the most complex or the highest risk evolution only compared to space flight and aviation. Yeah. But they do it routinely day in and day out. Right. You know, so why don't we take that mentality and apply it to a civilian organization where everything is standardized? you train constantly and everybody does it the same way. Yeah. And it's a complete success. And I think we, we, as you know, in the civilian world, you don't see that in small aircraft aviation too much. No, yeah,
2: but, I agree. And so how long were you in the Navy? You went to Top Gun in 2009. When did you end up coming yeah, out? Yeah,
0: so I did 10 years in the Navy yeah. and another three and a half, four as a reservist. So I did okay. 10 active another four as reservist. Yeah, I started the company, on still in the Navy. And then I was trying to, was trying to balance being a Navy reserve pilot, which was still six, seven days a month down in Key West Florida, by the way, best kept secret in the Navy. <laughs> it's awesome. there. Uh, yeah, so you, you check in a day, Day one, you know, you get all your paperwork situated day two, you go by the boat, you know, and that's, that's just like you're yeah. spearfishing the weekends. Like I still got buddies of mine that are living down there still, they didn't want to leave, you know? Yeah. So I trying to balance being a reserve pilot down there and starting the company. And as you know, you know, entrepreneurial, I mean, like you're 24 seven and I'll never forget. I was taxing out. I was at the hold short. I had three F-18s on my wing and I was about to go off, take off and do like this training mission. And I was texting my vice president about some FA thing. And I yeah. said, look, I said it earlier when my dad passed away, right? Like aviation for me was always a, a, an escape, yeah. And it, it was no longer an escape. And I said, look, yeah. I gotta throw in the towel. And when yeah. I did that, you know, the company went through the roof because I was able to focus one hundred percent on it.
2: Yeah. And, and so, so to roll back a little bit, Top Gun two thousand nine. Is it usual to only spend a couple more years after Top Gun, or like what was there? Because um, they're investing a lot in you, I'd assume.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not always. You know, I went through the adversary program and a lot of the guys that go there end up being reservists. You know, they obviously want you to stay in if you can. At the time, a lot of people were getting out. It's unfortunate, but you know, you give 10 years of your life already. So yep. if you think about it, so like, if you want to be a pilot, you have to give them 10 years. And yep. if you want to stay on if you want to sign up again, they'll give you a four-year bonus, you know? So I didn't take the four-year bonus. I got out just being a reservist.
2: Yeah, Got it. And so did you immediately start the company? Like, did you already yeah. have a vision for that? Like, when did that come up?
0: So I always wanted to, I had, like I said, when I was a kid, I was like, I was gonna be a fighter pilot. And then when I retired, which I thought I would retire in like my fifties, I was yeah. gonna start a, start a company, you know, I, I, I love aviation. I was gonna be a part of it. And actually in 2009, not too long after Top Gun, I took some leave and I was riding motorcycles through Southern Italy with a buddy of mine. I had actually visited my niece who's in the air force up in, in England. And then, uh, with an, another friend of mine and we spent some time in Rome and then I jumped on motorcycles and in Sicily, rode, rode through my dad's hometown, the whole thing. But I was reading during that trip, I was reading, screw it, let's do it. Richard Branson. Yeah. And, you know, at the end, I was like, screw it. I'm going to start a company, you know, and and (laughs) I made the decision. And man, in the course of six months, I sold, it was about everything I had, sold my house, my car, motorcycle, my kayaks, my boat, you know, and bought this like little 1976 four seat airplane. Yeah. And, didn't know what I was getting myself into. I picked it up in Sacramento, California, in the middle of winter. And I, I remember, like, we were, I was with a Navy buddy of mine, and we were flying over the Grand Canyon, trying to beat the weather. And we're going really slow, because it's an yeah. old... Slow what, what, it? an old what did you buy? An old 1976-206. It's 206. I think it's doing 100 knots, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So it's like the storms caught up to us, essentially, and cut us yeah. off. So I remember looking out the wing, the wing I'm like, is that is that ice on the wing? And he's like, I don't know. And I said, so I opened the, I literally opened the window and yeah. took my glove off and I grabbed. grabbed. I'm like, yeah, that's ice. We got to, we got to set this thing down somewhere. I mean, it was just yeah. one of those, you know, but I sunk everything I had in this company and I was so scared that I was going to, you know, tank it before I even got started. But you know, we went through a year and a half of trying to get the FA approvals done. And then we got the FA approvals in 2011.
2: You bought the plane right away and then worked on everything else. Like you had one plane already ready yeah. to go kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We got very, very, at the time, the FAA gave us very bad, I would say direction. And they said, we're not going to look at you until you have the airplane. I'm like, shit. Okay. (laughs) Now they tell you, well, as long as you have a contract in place, we'll process your application. Right. So I sat on an asset for a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Eugene, I mean, almost on it too. yeah, yeah. So I literally rode a bicycle to work for two years, <laughs> you know,
2: and, but my were, view, you still was, in, were you in Florida at that time? Were you based in Miami or?
0: Yeah, I was in Tampa, okay. station at station at Sancom in Tampa. I actually worked for General Mattis for a while, which yep. is a former sec tech. And then I moved back to Fort Lauderdale in 2013.
2: Got it. Okay, and so you fly this from Sacramento, California, you fly across the country in a 206 on yeah. 100 knots, which, it, you know, it's a yeah. bird flies, but it's a 100, basically a nice. little over 100 miles and an that, hour.
0: Mind you, I was flying fighters, like up to that yeah. point. You know? so <laughs> I, was like, I was like, why does it take 45 minutes to get to 11,000 feet? This is insane. Yeah, you exactly.
1: Know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but no, I've um, been, i, I I've got light, but I've got 44 hours. So I've sat up in the oh. 172, just like it sometimes feels like you're sitting still. You're just like, eh, yeah.
0: But, yeah, exactly. You're not going anywhere. No, but like, you know, that's, that's funny too. When you talk about fear, like oh, look, I flew, flew the F-14 over Iraq for seven months, you know, landing on ships at night. I mean, landing, yeah. I landed an air base with one engine that well, it was under mortar fire, the whole thing. Oh, wow. That trip across the country was, I would say the most scared I've ever been in an airplane. <laughs>
2: And was it really that Grand Canyon situation or what was the, Yeah, it was just, it
0: was that, it was that, I think it was, it was a combination of obviously the fear factor of, you know, flying, trying to get that thing back in the wintertime. At the same time that I just invested my entire life savings and decided to get out of the Navy into something that I'm probably going to not even get it back to, back to Fort Lauderdale, start the business. Like it was just, just the stress, the emotional stress of that, trip i'll never forget it.
2: which it's funny I, because brandon webb and i mutual friend, have mutual kind of talked about this too where I mean, this is a navy seal that's been in some real serious combat situations and he's talked about that his business almost failing and like COVID hitting and things like that way more stressful than being in a combat oh, yeah. situation which is not what oh, including myself most civilians would think you'd be like you're getting shot at that there can't be something more stressful yeah. but no the idea of your business failing for some reason logically doesn't make sense biologically it happens
0: well, you think about it. So, and, and I can't speak for Brandon's experience, but I'll speak for my own, right? So as a fighter pilot, you, you, first of all, you know what you're signing up for. I'm going to land on yeah. ships at night. I'm going to fly into combat, right? Then you are trained really well for that. So I follow stoicism, right? I love, I love this Stoic mentality of the, the idea that you accept reality, right? You're trained to accept this reality that you're going into. I'm flying fighters off ships. I'm going into combat. You know, you are surrounded by a team that's all like on the same page to win. Right. So yes, you you have responsibility of the people in the back of your jet of your wingman of people on the ground, you have those responsibilities, but you're also surrounded by an entire team that's all sharing those responsibilities, you know, and then you go to combat like, and it's just what you do and it's scary and it's impactful and and everything else, but it's what you've been prepared for, you know. COVID hitting my business was something that nobody saw coming, right? I right. didn't see it coming. Yeah. And those 10 days, I remember March 13th was when we finally yeah. accepted the reality, right? March 13th, same, Friday 13th, I don't forget. Yep. And the next 10 days watching, you know, not just, you know, my own personal dreams unravel of the idea, like, wait, I gave up the Navy for this. I sold everything I had. I still haven't recouped any of this. You know, I've got investors, but then watching, my employees go through it too. And you're, you're just carrying all of that weight. Yep. And by the way, like, you know, I can say it today, but I can't walk into the office on Monday, the 16th, right? 16th yep. and say, Hey guys, this is all falling apart because you know, I have to stay strong for everyone yep. else. Right. And so you carry all of that weight. And for me, that was one of the more difficult periods of time I've had in a very yep. long time.
2: No. And, and you were in what's what, a hyper affected industry. So okay, actually we'll get back to that, but so you get this plane back, you spend a year and a half getting the FAA approval. And I'm curious as you, cause you did just explain, you know, how much stress I was going back to the air force. What was one of your most stressful times or crazy times flying in combat?
0: Yeah, there's a few, you know, and they're all, it's so funny. Like, you know, how your memory, the hard times tend to fade yeah. if you have the right mindset. And you just remember all the good times, like even the most stressful times I remember the good, times there but you know there's a couple that that still stick with me to this day where your hands were tied because of rules of engagement Uh and like our job was to support the guys on the ground right Right. that was our job there was no air threat you know and I remember we saw a helicopter get shot down and look there's two of our fellow servicemen on that chopper right and we chased you know by air we followed the guys and they went into a mosque yeah. And, you know, we had strikers, we talked to strikers on, which are the vehicles, you know, the Marines or army, I think it was up in Mosul, surrounds the mosque. And so we're like, we got these guys. And they wouldn't let them in, you know, we wouldn't, they, they wouldn't go in because of rules of engagement. So they had to wait for the Iraqi army to show up, which took two hours, yeah. you know, and by the time they showed up, somehow the guys disappeared at the back you know and like and those were two americans that were killed you know and those times like i remember like it's we all look back on deployment as a great times and our, we have a cruise video showing all the fun times flying and the times yeah. like getting hammered in turkey and everything else in dubai but there's these impactful times like that that you just never forget and it's because you felt so helpless yeah i think right
2: yeah. no, like, i never
0: feared for my life if that makes sense or like it. i felt yeah. you know secure in my training, and my jets, and my people, and my squadron, it was more the time that you just felt helpless, that you couldn't do your job. And do you think
2: any stressing. of that, I mean, it sounds like you at a young age, you wanted to be an entrepreneur too, but do you think that drove entrepreneurship? Because there is a little less helplessness in entrepreneurship. Now, what you said, there's other stressors, but it's always on you, meaning the decision's yeah. always on you too.
1: Yeah,
0: no, I think you nailed it, man. That's one of the reasons why I love, you know, the, the idea of being an entrepreneur. And if I was to ever sell this company, I'd probably do something else simply because- yep. Like you control your own destiny, right? Like you do. You know, you put money in the stock market, it's still a gamble, right? Right. You put money in yourself. That's like I know that I can I can drive it. And I'll tell you that goes back to the idea of stoicism, or if you listen to Jocko Willink or anything like that, you know. I mean, I mean, oh, it's so funny. All those philosophies, by the way, even Catholicism, Judaism, like all the religions, they all follow the same premise, which is like you have free will. Yep. Right. And if you don't like something, like that's the reality. So you got to accept yeah. the reality. If you don't like yeah. it, you can't change the reality. You can change your next move, right? Yep. And and impact it that way. And that's why I love being an entrepreneur because I can impact it. Like I yep. can impact it. I jump out of airplanes, right? So there's an old yep. old joke like, you know, your it doesn't open, you pull the reserve, right? But yep. if you pull the reserve and it doesn't open, you just you keep yanking on that thing, like yep. fighting it until you hit the ground, like. And that's yep. that's the mentality of the entrepreneur, right? You're going to go down so swinging no matter yeah. what. Exactly, you can't rely on anyone else. No one's going to come bail you out, you know. Yep. yep. And, and it's 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 that challenge I think is what attracts me to it.
2: Yeah, yeah no, that makes a lot of sense. And so, getting back to this, so you you go all in with your own money for a year and a half. Did you have investors in the beginning, or did you just do it literally yourself?
0: So I did it literally myself in the very beginning, and I was very fortunate to to meet a gentleman. Because at the time, all the banks, I was trying to get a loan for the remainder of the airplane and some parts. So at the time, you know, it's so funny. Like, no bank. I mean, look, it was the tail end of a recession, right? This is two thousand nine, yeah. two thousand ten, and so all the banks pretty much laughed at me. Every single one I was like, yeah. "You're like, you're kidding, right?" So a you're starting an airline in recession. Good luck. B, you know, who are you? You're a Navy pilot. You don't have a lot of wealth behind you, whatever else. So I literally like, I I had a bank laugh at me. I kid you not. And I was very fortunate to meet a gentleman at a, at a wedding who owned a small bank and he was big in aviation. And and I kind of pitched him on my idea and his bank, you know, he gave me the loan for the first airplane. And as we're we're without him. And it's so funny, man, like just anchor on that for a second. Like I'm sure you see this too. There are people like throughout, you know, the, the last 10 years, I would say that just, you don't have anything to give them, yep. but they just believe in you, whether it's, yep. and they'll give you some, whether it's mentorship or an investment or, or just, just point you in the right direction. Yep. And I am, you know, hundred percent thankful and like loyal those. So another great example is my insurance guy. So at the time I couldn't even get insurance, you know, for an airline. Yep. And I met this guy and we became very close friends. He's 20 years old than me. We actually just went to Skip Barber and race cars last weekend oh, nice. in Austin, you know, in Formula One cars, that yeah. Formula Four rather. But at the time, like nobody would give me their, you know, insurance business. So now all of the insurance business, all, all the big companies have reached out to me and trying to get my business. And I tell them all the same thing. I'm like, look, I am loyal, 100% loyal to this guy because he gave me a shot when all of you guys told me to, to F off, yep. basically, you know. Yep. And without, you know, it's funny, like entrepreneurs always get the focus, right? But we're here because I think we were able to bring people together, right? It's all about the team that you build, like, especially in terms of mentorship and things like that. So anyway, so yeah, so I was able to get a loan from that gentleman to help buy the first airplane in the parts. Yeah. And then, so we started flying in March of 2011 Mm -hmm. with that one little airplane and we flew that airplane everywhere. I mean, it was in the Keys, it was in the Bahamas, it was in Tampa, doing flights everywhere. And people thought we had a fleet. Of these things, you know, and I would just fake it till you make it, right?
2: Yeah, 100%. How many hours did you put on that thing?
0: Man, I don't remember. We did 110,000 in revenue the first year. All right. You know? Yeah, not bad. Is that yeah.
2: Enough, I mean, not enough to really pay yourself, but enough to cover the bills. No,
0: not even. No, I was, I was, it was so funny. So my CEO Nick Veltri, was actually my first employee. He came down on a handshake. He moved to Key West with his wife and I went to Tampa. I thought I was going to Afghanistan at the time. Like I thought, I literally thought I was taking a job in Afghanistan because I had to spend one more year in the Navy and I ended up going to, we call it Tampa Stan. It's like a great, <laughs> I was just on the other side of the state, but he moved down and he basically was the first pilot for the plane. And at the time I couldn't pay him. So I was making $30,000 a year at as a Navy reservist. And I was supporting wow. myself, him and his wife, Wow, you know, my fiance at the time, you know, on 30,000 a year, I mean, it's four adults and three. It was, it was, it was a rough couple of years, obviously, you know, but, you know, so in 2012, we added the bigger airplane, the caravan. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one of those builders they will come. We, we saw the demand for it. There was casinos that were opening up and we said, Hey, we could, we could bring this business. I said, when did you launch? So it's September of next year. And, and I didn't have the airplane yet, you know, mm-hmm. but here we are, right? We sat on an asset for eight months burning cash because it took eight months for the FAA to approve that airplane. Uh-huh. Yeah, but in 2013, we launched the Caravan service and we were able to attract some some strong investors in 2014. So my partner's now a couple of guys, former Goldman Sachs partners, one of them sits on the board at Delta, also sits on the board at Virgin Galactic, which is kind of cool, by the way. Yeah. And, and with, with these guys on board and the connections that they brought, I mean, we grew the company from two airplanes to where we are today, which I don't like to use 2020 numbers, but 2019, we flew 45,000 people in eight countries, wow. you know, on these little seaplanes, if you yeah. will.
2: Some of your investment, you had a bit, you raised a bunch of money in that time at that point too, right?
0: Yeah, not, not a bunch, but enough. Okay. Yeah, 20. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, not a bunch. But in 2014, we, we raised a decent amount. In 2017, we brought another small partner on. It was actually a foreign company too. That's looking at it. So our model is the way I've shifted the model. We went from flying celebrities to the islands to building a, basically we standardized how we operate like McDonald's. Uh-huh. And, I, and I hate to use that term, you know, but basically, no, yeah. we could stick this thing down in just about any region that has an archipelago, or I would say places like Boston, where you have a, an urban mobility issue, right? Yeah. So there's a foreign company that invested because we're helping them set up, this is in Asia. And we've been since then actually kind of moving forward with that idea of we can basically solve an airlift problem for a country. So you take, you know, if if you're familiar with the Maldives, right? Archipelago, seaplanes is is what really connected the entire country. It used to be an old fishing village. Now it's the one of the number, it's the number one archipelago, you know, luxury destination in the world, if you will. Bahamas has 700 islands. You know, we have operations throughout the Caribbean. So we're launching these different operations in these different regions but yeah. again, back to the whole, how do you land on a carrier? You standardize and train it. We've standardized how we operate. And we can pick yep. it up and stick it down just about anywhere. And, and that's so, been kind of a business And
2: model. you said at this point, you're about eight different countries? Correct?
0: We are operating into eight different countries. We are basing airplanes in right now, three countries. Okay. but operate into the other neighboring countries as well. Got it.
2: Got it. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And so 2019, you said 45,000 different passengers, et cetera. What ended up happening with COVID? How, how did that actually affect things?
0: Yeah, obviously, I mean, March was everybody was yeah. scared. Everybody shut, shut down, you know, so we saw the writing on the wall. So we had to make some some really tough decisions by the end of March. Mm -hmm. And we built a timeline. Like, like I'm a big believer, like, look, we were saying it earlier, right? This isn't going to last forever. We just didn't know how long it was going to last, right? So we built a timeline to get us to December back in March. And the the timeline was basically we went through a period of like a triage, if you will. Imagine an injury, right? Mm -hmm. We triaged, we stopped the bleeding, we performed some surgery in the company. That period of time, March, April, was very eye-opening for me and and actually for our exec team because we actually found a lot of inefficiencies in our company. So think about the opportunity to watch your business on slow motion yep. and say, well, I don't like po- hip pause. I don't like that. Let's pull that out. Right. Yep. And so we actually were able to shave those about 37, 38% of costs out of our business, normal operating business, yep. because, you know, like any small entrepreneurial company, we were growing so fast. We we're growing about 34% year over year. Yep. We got fat. Right. You start
2: throwing shit at things, So we yeah, you know, just exactly. hired three more
0: people yeah, there. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep, exactly. yep, we got fat. So that was very helpful, I would say, for the company, that period of time. Yep. So we kind of built a recovery plan in June with the idea that July, there was going to be some recovery. And there was. We had a very strong July, and then we fell off a cliff again in August, right? So since August, we've been kind of reshuffling the company. I actually made some great COVID hires. I hired a new VP of ops and a VP of sales. VP of ops came to us from American Airlines. You know, So we were able to hire people. We couldn't hire before COVID. Yeah. And we're professionalizing the business. And and we're right now we're in the process of relaunch in December. So mm-hmm. we've had a pretty strong December. I was able to land some some big contracts the last couple of weeks actually. Right. And we're gonna look at another slow period of time in most likely January, February. Mm-hmm. And then we're either going to see a recovery in March or July. Yeah. Right. Right. But I think the industry as a whole, you know, this shift in travel has benefited us, right? People want to fly yep. the, the leisure routes. They want to fly to these remote areas. They want to fly private. So it's funny. The demand is there, yeah. right? And we see it. We see COVID as I, I think we're going to look back at COVID as although it's going to be a difficult time for our company, it'll be one of the pivotal points in our company where we actually were able to now get the company to the next level.
2: Well, I think right. that I've seen that with a lot of companies, like another friend that owned a chain of gyms across Canada and had to shut them down and pivoted to virtual training and has built an entire virtual platform now that's probably gonna be one of the biggest virtual training platform like fitness training platforms. Right. Period. He's made millions of dollars online. And, you know, without having these brick and mortar places where he's running you know, chain of gyms for 20 years, now he's got this huge business that has yeah. no geographic limitation, no overhead. Like, it's really interesting to see kind of like what you said about cutting costs and about all the things that's forced entrepreneurs to do that if you kind of are, as I've heard the term used, a wartime leader, where it's like, we're going to battle, we're going to figure this out. Yeah. Those people did well, pretty much regardless of industry because it opened up so many new opportunities that maybe, as you just said, maybe 2020 isn't going to be a great year on paper, but it's going to be a pivotal point that going forward, it makes your company so much stronger. Because right. again, with recovery in the next three to six months, which I agree with, I think that timeline makes sense from what I'm saying too, you're going to have a massive reduction in costs and the revenue is going to be coming back strong. And people seem to be much more driven to these private flights, these remote destinations, that kind of thing. I agree. Yeah, so yeah. super interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think, I mean, we have a very strong plan for 2021 post-recovery and for the next couple of years after that. So look, it's an exciting time. And, it, and it's tough to say, you know, the the Catholic guilt in me, it's tough to say the it's exciting because there's a lot of people that are struggling right now, right? And yep. and we we have to be cognizant of the fact that not everybody's gonna be doing well during the next, you know, you know, yep. couple of years. But as far as my company's concerned, I think we have a really strong plan in place so we'll be able to take yep. advantage of it.
2: 100 percent And so last couple of questions for me. One, what's next? You talked about the plan, but what is your vision for this? How big do you want to go with it to build it for a few years and sell it? What do you think's coming next for you?
0: Yeah, I think so. We have this plan, you know, to grow the company. And again, by using that franchise mentality where we're sticking the, the company down different regions. And we've also launched a, uh, an air concierge business. So if you're Necker Island or, you know, pick, pick your luxury resort, one of the challenges everyone has is how do I get there? And mm-hmm. one of the challenges that the managers and the salespeople on those resorts have is like trying to figure out how you're going to get to that resort. So we're trying to take that off people's hands, you know, which, which is great. Cause we're a wonderful last mile provider, but we have some great partners in terms of major airlines, as well as private jet companies to get you as close as possible and we'll take you the last mile. So that model, I think, is a great expansion plan for us because as we launch these different airlines in these different regions, also partnering with the resorts to ensure that we have you know a flow of traffic coming in is good. And look, I mean, I, I, we see this opportunity around the world. I think anywhere around the globe that there's a body of water in a transportation challenge we can put this company there, and then yep. fast forward five, six, seven years. Maybe there's the possibility to electrify the entire fleet. Yeah, you know, which is right, which is extremely exciting right now. It's not going to happen in the next two years because of battery technology, but there, there's a big shift towards that. And uh, we definitely think that again, you know, putting these this this route structure in place is a great start to ensuring that these countries can then electrify their transportation needs. Yeah. In the next six years, so those are some of the conversations we're having. You know,
2: that's amazing.
0: Yeah, and again, it's an exciting time. You know, for me personally, man, look, like I said earlier, like I need to know that I have a purpose and a challenge. And as long as we're continuing to move in that direction, I feel like I have a purpose and a challenge. And I think we've built the culture of the company to think that way. Great example, really quick, is we do. You know, every year there's a hurricane, we launch hurricane relief. And mm-hmm. last year, when you think about the ability to pivot, and I'm very proud of my team for this, is when Hurricane Dorian hit the Northern Bahamas, this is right before we actually met, Palm Springs, yep. right? This is October and yep. uh, September. We, over overnight, we partnered with a company called Blue Tad Marine, former Navy SEALs, SEAL Team 6 guys, actually. We partnered with Delta. We partnered with Wheels Up. And my little company led this international, you know, multi-company organization. And, you know, in 24 hours, we were the first ones on the ground that were not, you know, the military, for example, in Northern Bahamas. And in 10 days we evacuated 900 people and carried 250,000 wow. pounds of cargo, you wow. know, to the remote areas of the Northern Bahamas that were just devastated by hurricane Dorian. So, you know, and I think my entire company kind of, you know, fits that culture, which is just fantastic. So we're going to continue to move, you know, through our plan and and keep going after these exciting things. And for me personally, who knows, man, I, yeah. may, I may, you know, maybe yeah. around in 20 years flying sea plans, I don't know.
2: I was going to ask, are you still flying much yourself?
0: No, I, I gave, so I gave it up in 2014 because, you know, uh-huh. focus on the business, I think I'm, I'm, I'm better doing these types of things, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm better, you know, right. Meeting with prime ministers and, and working with them on their early strategy, but I miss it like crazy, you know, yeah. and it's, COVID was pivotal for me because I went through, I think a period of depression, you know, not, not too long ago yeah. where I started really second guessing why I left the Navy, why I left, you know, the things that I love to do. And it's not because of COVID, like I, I'll deal with COVID, you know, I'll work through yeah. it. It was more of just my life's choices, you know? And I was able to fall back on stoicism and think about it. Like you can't, you know, look, whatever decisions you made yesterday, it doesn't matter, right? It's where you are today. So you can't look back. And there's a a great Marcus Aurelius quote I actually posted this morning and I would bastardize it, but pretty much it says, you know, like you should live your life. Like you've died. And as, as a dead man, you know, take every day forward as a bonus and basically love, love the hand that fate dealt you and play it as your own. Right. What a great quote. Yeah. You know, so here we are right here. I am yep. running an airline and, and I left the Navy and I don't get to fly anymore. I don't have those passions, but I can fill those with, you know, driving formula four cars around code every once in a while. Yeah,
2: I and, and well, and <laughs> Just to be real, like with that mindset, you also, I think you can live happier because you also feel like you have that control and that you made that choice. Like I think a lot of right. people give away that power of will that they're like, Oh, I'm stuck. And like, for you, yeah. you could turn this, like you, you piss a couple of people off, but you could stop tomorrow and go back to flying and, yeah, right. you have. There's cost to that, but still, you could do that. So knowing that yeah. you're making this choice, I think it helps a lot. I, so yeah, I agree. I agree. And on on that note, what would be your advice to you know young person looking to pursue their dreams? Someone not even young person, any age that's you know whether they're feeling stuck or they're just trying to figure out how to get to their dreams. What would be that one thing that you think drives?
0: Yeah, it's funny. You know, I get that that, that question a lot about, yeah, you know, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. What do you think? I'm like, well. You know, what's your passion, right? Like like you have to have a passion and, and a purpose if you want to be an entrepreneur, right? So you know, what is your dream? Is your dream to make a lot of money? Well, find something that will make a lot of money because sometimes, you know, if, if I like flying airplanes, you can always make money in aviation, right? Is your passion helping people, right? Maybe that's a way to, to fulfill your dreams. But I think, you know, and, and I tell everyone this, like find what your passion is, find a mission for yourself. And maybe your mission is taking care of your own family. And if you take care of your, if you could take care of your family by making a lot of money at Goldman Sachs, then go work for someone else and make a lot of money so you can take care of your family. But yep. You know, that's how I look at it. I think a lot of times people, they say, I want to be an entrepreneur without really understanding what it means. And it really comes down to like, what, you know, what tickles you? Like, what's your mission? And we have, look, we have a lot of depression in veterans, right? That PTSD and a lot of that comes from just not knowing what your purpose is. So I think anybody who's trying to figure that out right now, especially during COVID, you know, this is going to pass, like it's going to be over. And you're going to look back at this time as like, it was just a bump in the road. So now's a great time for you to take a step back and say like, really what, what makes me happy? Yeah. Right. What makes me happy? And then go for it. Like, and don't listen to what anyone else tells you.
2: you Well, Rob, thank you for being on Hawk Talk. This has been awesome.
0: It was great, man. Really excited to see you again and talk to you. So thanks. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You too. Thank you.
1: Hawk Media is your outsourced CMO and marketing team. We'll dive into your business for free, identify opportunities in your marketing strategy, then get you teamed up with individual experts, all month to month and a la carte. Whether you're looking for a Facebook advertiser, a web designer, or a fractional CMO, we can help you drive growth for your business. We've successfully grown over 2,500 brands, and we're here to help you too. No matter your goal, we've got you covered. To learn more, visit hawkmedia.com. That's hawk with an E, media.com. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast playlist if you're listening in apple podcasts we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves thank you so much for listening until next time